is the Stagger Podcast. Welcome into the Stagger Podcast. What is up? I am JD Smith. Uh, no Derek Smith today. That's all right. Uh, Derek couldn't be here for this one, but we're trying out some new ideas here because, uh, you know, we like to talk racing. We like to talk to interesting people in racing. And we were approached by someone who works for a NASCAR team. Uh, reached out to us on Twitter at Stagger Podcast. DMs are always open if you want to say hi, ask a question, whatever. It's all good. Uh, but we we were contacted by Fabricator for Stuart Haas Racing, who said, "Hey man, uh, I love the fact that there's conversation not just about NASCAR, but also about IMSA and everything else." So um, he wanted to know if he could come on the show, and we. Never going to turn that down. We love talking to the people who make NASCAR go around, not just talking to drivers and crew chiefs, although that stuff is obviously very interesting as well. There are a lot of other people who have a lot of cool stories. So we're actually talking to Brian Murphy today, fabricator for Stuart Haas Racing. He'll tell you a little bit more in depth about what he does there and how that all works. But one thing that I really enjoyed about this interview, other than just you know talking racing with someone who knows it, inside out is is just being able to find out how people do this a lot of times i know the question comes up how did you get into this business how did you start in racing and his story is a little different than most people's so i think it's a a really cool story and i hope you'll give this a listen uh we are trying to bring you as much content as we can on this channel because you know we like racing you like racing we're trying to build a community here so brian seems like a good guy we appreciated having him on so without further ado, here you go. Brian Murphy from Stuart Haas Racing. Take it away. Brian, how you doing today? Fantastic. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you, guys. And how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm I'm doing well. I uh, really had a blast watching all the uh, racing the last couple weeks. It's good to have the sport back. Good to have the series back. Guys spent a lot of time at Daytona. I mean, it's, <laughs> that was quite an uh, experience there. Two very different races, though. Um, Stuart Haas had a lot of ups and downs that week, but overall, I mean, what were your impressions? Let's just talk about the road course. Like, I know you're a big road course racing fan. You're a big sports car fan. What did you think of, uh, the series going to such a, uh, road course heavy schedule this year? Uh, I think it's great. I think stock cars, particularly, obviously the NASCAR, our top three series, they put on some of the best road course racing in the world. So the more we can do it, um, I think it's better for the fans. I think it's better for uh, for to to get more fans from other types of motorsport to watch uh, NASCAR. So I love everything about it. Um, I think I think on the Cup side, especially, we should be predominantly a a circle track series. But I definitely think because of the show we put on on those road courses that we you know we need seven, eight, or nine of them on our schedule. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be a little bit different, I would assume, at the race shop when you have to set up pretty much for one type of track all the rest of the year. And then there's two road courses. Has that been a little bit of an easier transition now where it's like, you know, for the team to be able to focus and say, all right, we have a dedicated big amount of our schedule now that's going to be on these road courses. We've got to make sure we're good on that. Has that been easier for you guys as a focus at the team to do that? It's, it definitely requires you to pay more attention to it for sure. Um, You know, before a lot of teams had, uh, intermediate uh, packages or in- intermediate teams. And then you also had like a speedway program. And now with only, you know, four speedway races uh, and now you have seven road course races that, that obviously has become more of a, 
it's it's way more important than than we ever thought it would become. Um, so teams are are adjusting the way they they use their resources. They're adjusting their manpower. It's become a massive factor in in how you do how far you go in the playoffs, especially with that roval race. So um, yeah, it's it's it'll be interesting to see how the teams, the drivers, how this plays out, and and what team rises to the top. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You had a, a really cool thought on uh, Twitter I just saw a few hours ago, at Brian underscore Murphy underscore, if you want to follow on Twitter. And I'm sure most people listening are actually some of your followers checking this out. So thanks to those of you who are checking this out for the first time. But um, I, you had a thought about doing a road course championship for the NASCAR series, like a separate trophy kind of to honor whoever is the king of the road courses. And I love that idea. I I really hope NASCAR considers doing something like that. I think that's great. I think it would be awesome. I, and I can't take credit for that. That's actually uh, an idea I got from IMSA where they have the endurance cup. Um, they take their four long races and they award points and money to the champion. Um, so I think it'd be really cool for, for uh, NASCAR to do something that like that on the cup side where we now have seven races and, you know, maybe it would invite other drivers that aren't necessarily full-time cup drivers to be able to come into our sport and race those road course, uh, tracks. So I, I, I would love to see it. I wish they would have done it this year. Yeah. Hopefully they do it next. I didn't even think of that, but you're right. You could easily see a, a, maybe an Xfinity team or a smaller team that's trying to kind of like a college racing. Some of those guys, I know they're, yep. they're building up their programs and stuff, but that would be a great way to say like, Hey, we're going to hire this driver for seven races we're going to put all of our resources into building these cars for these seven races. We're going to try to win this, you know, like they used to have the Winston million back in the day that Bill Elliott won in 85. I think it was, you know, the million dollar bill, like put it, put a big money pot on the line and just say, Hey, if you win, if you're the champion of this group of races, Mm -hmm. you get all this extra money. I mean, that'd be a big deal for a lot of teams. I think that'd be really cool. You never know what drivers that would bring. Uh, I I'd love to see Andy Lally, Oh yeah. Something like that. Um, there's, there's just a list of drivers, right. That, that, that could possibly bring into our sport and, um, and those fans from other walks of motorsport. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And I, and I, I know that, uh, you enjoy the sports cars, you enjoy a lot of that stuff and you've got a background in that. And if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about like, you know, how you kind of got into motorsports and how you got to where you are now. Cause I think, you know, I work in radio and a lot of times people ask me, like, how did you get a job in sports radio? And sometimes the answer is, I don't totally know. Like, I just kind of always like doing this type of thing and you yeah. just kind of do it. And then eventually you get a better job and a better job. And suddenly you end up with a really cool job. Right. You work for Stuart Haas Racing, putting together race cars, a fabricator, just for people who don't know. Explain what that is in the function of a NASCAR team. Like, what is your primary day to day responsibility? Well, I will say I think NASCAR is very unique in that most of our cars are still hand built. Uh, you, you hear a lot uh, from the pipe rack to the racetrack, which is something that most motorsports in the world actually can't say. A lot of it's uh, either uh, OEM parts or machine parts or, or you know, uh, carbon pieces that are just molded. And there's still a lot of our cars that are hand built by humans by you know fabricators so um there's all different kinds of fabricators you have chassis fab you have finish fab which could be uh windows uh duct work crush panels the finishing side you have body fabricators 
you have heavy fabricators that that make oil tanks and and all kinds of the the thicker heavier uh components of the race car the suspension things like that so there's a ton of different types of fabrication in our sport um and to this day it is still a massive factor in how these cars are put together how they're raced and how fast they are at the end of the day and so what part of that process or kind of where do you fit into all that with all those different types of fabrication? What's your uh, specialty? Well, when I started at Stewart House Racing, I was a body hanger. So we did uh, we did basically the skin of the car, the parts you see. Um, but since then, I, I went on the road. I, I really enjoy traveling. I think it's one of the best parts of our, our, our job is that we get to travel and see different places and, and compete at the racetrack. And so that, that was something I really wanted to do. I took a job where I did that full time. And, and since COVID, they they went to the one day shows. So it kind of took away the need for a fabricator. You know, if we don't practice, we don't qualify. There's less of a chance a guy gets into a wall or you have an issue when you just show up and, and race you, you know, by that point, you really can't fix anything. You're just salvaging a day. So um, this year I took a new role where I'm going to be uh, the detail fabricator for the 14 and 41. Um, just kind of oversee the bodies as they go through the process, as they go through each uh, each department, like I just said, the, the body fab, the finished fab, um, paint and body, things like that. So I'm uh, really excited to work with both uh, Chase Briscoe and Cole. And, and still, I'll go to the practice and qualifying races, so I'll still be able to go those eight weekends where um, we practice qualify and and still get to hopefully stand in victory lane this year. Yeah, I saw you had a pretty weird Daytona 500 because you were there for the Daytona 500. And then yep. I saw you had on Twitter, like a picture where you're at home, like, well, I didn't think I'd be watching the 500 like this, but yeah. you had pictures from that day where you were in the fire suit and you were on pit road. And I'm like, yep. man, that's gotta be a, it's gotta be a bit trippy to have been there. And then by the time the race starts, you're at home, you know, yeah. it's a few it's hundred miles away. The new, uh, the new role, like I said, where, um, my main job, my main focus is to make sure the, the 14 and 41 cars are, are, um, pushing the limits as fast as they can be. Uh, every component is, is ready for the race. And it was more important for me to fly home that night and be there Monday morning to work on the road course cars. than it was to be at the racetrack. So awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's right. It's, you got to prioritize, especially in a competitive sport like this, where every second can kind of matter, you know, how much time you're spending on things, you know what you have to do. So that's, and we're very, we're very spoiled to have our own plane where we can just literally hop in it and be home in two hours. So, (laughs) yeah. Hey man, it's a, it's a beauty of working for Tony Stewart. I would guess that's uh, we, we get to see uh, a little bit of that at Eldora out here in Ohio. We, that's about two hours, hour and a half from where I live. So made the trek up there many a times and it's a gorgeous facility. So, uh, and he's, he's done a lot with it. So I'm, and been to your place as well. We've, we've stopped into the gift shop on our way through <laughs> and see I, that. I can't so. wait to, to have fans back in there. It's, oh, yeah. uh, it's weird not seeing faces or talking to fans at the shop. So that is one thing I will ask. Cause I just thought of this, like we've seen, I've definitely seen the fishbowl many a times going through the yeah. Charlotte shops. Like What's that like for you guys when you're at work? And I know you guys must appreciate all the fans and stuff like that, but are there times where you're like, uh, oh, I just scratched a place. <laughs> I'm not supposed to scratch and there's 50 people taking pictures. <laughs> first, I remember when I first started there, the first couple months were, were 
it, it was eye-opening, right? Um, yeah. It's it's not just a job. I mean, this is a fun sport. It is on TV, and and people come to watch what we do and and how we do it. So um, as you'd walk by the glass, it was hard not to smile or kind of you know geek out a little bit, I guess. But sure. after a while, you you just kind of get used to it and um and embrace it and welcome it. And like I said, it's it's fun to to talk to the fans. It's fun to show them what we do. It's fun to give tours and. And I really miss that part of our sport and I can't wait to have it back. Yeah. Let's hope that it can come back soon. I know it's gotta be, you know, for a lot of people, I know that that's a part of vacation planning is like, well, yeah. all right, if we're going to go through there, we better be able to stop. And then now you can't really do as much of that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I, the other question I had on that, that I thought of is I know that in the garages, there was talk back when they introduced all the you know catwalks and places where you could kind of see in the garages and watch guys doing stuff. Yeah there was concern about other teams sending guys to kind of, you know, dressed yeah. as a fan, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Has that, has there ever been any stories of that happening like at the shops or is it the stuff that is kind of out towards the front? I assume is stuff that's not really going to be sensitive. Yeah. Info it's easy, it's easier for us to shut that off at the shop because we control the situation. Right. Um, right. Yeah. What, what is in front of that glass is what we put in front of that glass at the track. It's, it's a little different. We have to be there. And there's been times where we've brought tents into the garage, like Vegas, where you have the, you know, <laughs> yes. so, so uh, where you're over you top, know, right? You can look yeah, down on it. Yeah. But actually, you know, fans couldn't see or people couldn't take those pictures. And NASCAR has came in and stepped in and said, no, you will remove that. No blankets <laughs> allowed over the, the engine bays. None of, the, none of this nonsense. This is for fans to see. So, yeah, um, it's, it's part of the competitive nature of our sport where we try to hide it, but it's also, we need to remember why we are doing this and that's so fans can see it, enjoy it. And, uh, Hey, if, if everybody can take pictures and see our stuff and, and we can see theirs then it's kind of a, a wash really. Right. Yeah. At some point there's stuff that you're just not going to be able to hide and eventually it's going to be figured out, I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about how you got into, uh, motorsports in general. Like give me your background a little bit. What did you do kind of growing up? Were you a racer? Were you just someone who liked to no. tinker with things? How did, how did that work that you got into this spot? So um, I was, uh, I believe, a sophomore in high school, and my mom worked for um, uh, Global Crossing. It was Global Crossing at, at the Glen in Watkins Glen, New York. And she came to me and said, hey, I got tickets from work to go to the NASCAR race. Do you want to go? And I said, hell no, that sounds stupid. Like, I do not want to go sit at a boring NASCAR race. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, actually, I wasn't asking you. I'm telling you, we have to go. I got, you know, we have to go talk to my boss and do all that. Right. He drugged me kicking and screaming to the NASCAR race. And I remember turn one uh, as those cars came came around that corner. It's, I just instantly fell in love with it. The whole the whole experience, the cars, the, the smell, the noise, all of it. So a um, couple months later, I told my mom that I wanted to move down to North Carolina when I graduated and work on race cars. So wow it was uh, that quick huh it, like from I, like hell no i have no desire to be a part of this to yeah. i'm moving my entire existence as soon as i can to go follow yeah. this passion that's incredible yeah so um as soon as i graduated um my parents and me they they came down um we're originally from wisconsin so oh wow uh, okay yeah we love new york it was great but there was really nothing there for them if i had left so we all moved down uh, I got a job at Performance Center in Statesville, North Carolina, which they built late mile stock chassis, hung bodies. It was it was a big hub for the short tracks around this area. And that's where I learned to, to fabricate, to um, 
hang, like I said, hang late mile bodies, build chassis, uh, the, the whole deal, set up cars. From there, I went to, uh, it was like a Toyota group effort where we hung both KBM and Thor Sport truck bodies. That's really where I started honing my body hanging skills. And I was there for from 2011 to 2014, the beginning of 14. Yeah. And in that year, both teams kind of went to uh, their own individual effort and the shop I was working at shut down. So that's where, that's kind of when I went and dabbled in the sports car side of things. Right on. Uh, okay. A lot of these teams don't have very skilled fabricators. I mean, a lot of them do, but there are some smaller teams that it's hard to find and pay for a full-time fabricator. And I would go to just the races um, and just take care of whatever they needed, whether it be welding or fabricating or, or, um, anything like that. So usually I would just clean rims and tires and run, run those and then fabricate when they needed. And, and at the end of 2014, I ran into a guy that I used to work with and he was at Stuart Haas and I got lucky enough just to, you know, just run across that, that situation. And, and here I am now. That is, I will say to anybody who's listening, who has ever wanted to do something that's like, wow, it seems really hard to get into that. Mm-hmm. It a lot of times is learning your skill, honing your craft, figuring yep. out what you like to do, being good at what you like to do. But then there is also just, you occasionally just need that extra. I ran into somebody who I knew who had an in somewhere. Absolutely. And that, I mean, you hear it all the time. It's so cliche, the networking thing. And it doesn't right. have to, it doesn't always have to be like, the corporate networking, you know, where everybody's got business cards, but just if someone says, Hey man, we haven't talked in a while. You want to reconnect? It's not ever, it's usually not a bad idea to at least, Hey, what's up? Yeah. Let's talk about what's the opportunity. Maybe I'm interested. There's always something like that. It seems like with these stories, that's like, Oh, that's how you got that cool job. That's interesting. Networking is, uh, I think underrated in general, but especially in this sport, it is, I would not be where I'm at without the people that I have met and worked with. Yeah. And, and it's, I, I consider myself a, a fairly okay fabricator, but I wouldn't be where I'm at with the help from others and, and both teaching me or, or just getting me to where I'm at. So when you came down from New York by way of Wisconsin, were you like always messing around with welding equipment and never? Like just, no. you came down here, we're like, show me what to do. Sweep yeah. the floors, whatever I got to do to get an end to start, Absolutely. right? Yep. Okay. I, I I had a, a RC car that I kind of tinkered with a little bit, but I was by no means a, a mechanic or a fabricator or or handsy whatsoever. I, I did a lot of video editing, a lot of um, uh, graphics design, things like that in high school. And, yeah. and up okay. until I went to that, to that race, that's what I thought I was going to do. I was going to be a video editor and things like that. So it was a completely different path than I ever thought I would take. That's incredible. That's a really cool story, man. I, yeah. I'm, I'm always impressed by the guys like, you know, who, Oh yeah, my grandfather raced, you know, these crazy looking dirt cars. And then my dad yeah. did it and I was at the track every weekend. Yeah. And ever since yeah. I was two I knew what I was going to do you know and yeah. then but it's always like you sometimes you fear, hear those stories and you're like well I didn't grow up doing that or I didn't go go-kart racing when I was four there's no spot for me in this sport like it's cool to know because I you know you see so many people online and people who just kind of follow the sport who are like I wish I could be involved in it it's not easy obviously but it's cool to know there are also people who are like oh no I kind of later on in high school started thinking yeah. about this and just went down and gave it a That's shot cool. and if, if you just have a uh, good work ethic and, and 
the drive to do it, you can do anything, whether it be in racing or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's all about your mindset and how bad you want it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about uh, road racing and the IMSA series a little bit, because, you know, NASCAR obviously owns all that. And that's, that's obviously an important thing, but I think among NASCAR fans, it is kind of rare to find people who are like, oh yes, I enjoy this. And I also enjoy watching IMSA. But in your case, given that the first race you saw was at Watkins Glen, (laughs) you kind of got involved in it in a unique way as maybe different from most people. So what, what do you find now that you really enjoy about what IMSA is doing as a sport and just kind of, you know, what sports car racing is? What do you enjoy about that? Well, it's, it's, I think, I think it's a totally different experience. First of all, that's, that's one thing. It My is. first time going to Road Atlanta and seeing the festival atmosphere, I guess, uh, that, that's what really drew me into that. It, it's just a totally different mindset when you go to one of those races because it's not a show up and, and stay there for a couple hours and then leave, which there are people that are, that are there for the whole weekend. But when you show up to a, a 12 or 24-hour race, you're, you're very involved into the storyline, into the entire race uh, and how it unfolds. So it's just a different uh, way of watching a race, really. And, and I, I, the amount of cars, the amount of people, the, that, like I said, that, the atmosphere is – it's just not better or worse. It's just different. And I really enjoy going to them. Yeah. And I mean, NASCAR doesn't do other than when they have lightning delays and massive wrecks and then a six hour rain delay, they don't usually have 12 hour races. So like (laughs) when you go to something like a 24 or 12 hour race, I mean, you're, your mindset is not like I've got to get to my seat and watch every single lap. It's Hey, all right, where's the beer? Where's the fun? Let's okay. These cars are gone. It is such a weird experience to be, and I know for you maybe not as much, given that you get to be on the infield more often than not. But you know, for a lot of fans, I think who've never tried it, it's like most of these road courses, you're on the inside of the track, or yep. you're very close in that way where you have access to walk around, see different yep. vantage points, kind of check out places. It's it's a great way to get out. Like we have Mid Ohio, not too far from where where we're located, and. Same deal where, I mean, you kind of can walk around, you get up on a hill, you can look down, see a couple corners, stay in there for 20 minutes, sip a beer, sip a whatever, and then go walk around 10 minutes away and go see another part of the course, put your scanners on. Like it's, it's just a, it's a different way to watch a race than yes, watching a NASCAR race where you get to your seat and you see the whole track all the time. But there's, there's a beauty to both of those. I think that's, that's really fun. Yeah. I also tell people, I think it's really cool to, you know, because I, I've gone and watched uh, these long races and experienced races in a different different locations as it unfolds, it is fun even at a circle track like Charlotte, let's say, if you go down and turn one and watch the cars go by you um, at, right up against the fence and then go up to the start-finish line on the, you know, at the top row and, and get a different view. It's 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 That's a true, smaller yeah. track, but it's still it's a different view. And and if you can move around, if you're able to, if there's not that big of a crowd, that's something somebody somebody should definitely do and, and get a different experience. Oh, I agree. And we one another track that obviously I think most gearheads have a reverence for in some way or shape or form is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And when you go to IMS, it's it's a little bit like that too, where you go for like the best thing I would tell anybody who's trying to get into IndyCar is go to like just a one of the practice days for the Indy 500 because they have a billion of them but it's like five or ten dollars to get in 
you park in the infield and you just kind of can walk around the whole place and go to turn three, stand on a mound, watch that go down, you know, gasoline alley, stand over there, watch cars are coming in and out, go, you know, underneath the start finish line and then go out and sit in the grandstands. Like it's, it's a really unique experience, but I like to sit in turn one when I go there and back when, you know, the stock cars were running the, the, you know, four corners as opposed to the however many 15 or whatever we're running this year. But when they would come off of turn one, I mean, you could, if you had the right seat, you could really see like, oh my gosh, the amount of torque they're laying down on the track and just how squirrely they're getting off of turn one. And it, you know, you see it on TV and it looks like they're just smoothly taking these turns and you see how much they're getting. And so that would be something that I found is just watching a race like that, where you can say, Oh man, this car right here is about to wreck every single time. He's either bad fast or he does something like, but I got to keep an eye on that car. And I remember Kyle Busch was the first one I noticed doing that at a race I went to a few years ago where I was like, Oh man, every time Kyle Busch comes by, he looks like he's about to be in the fence and he was the fastest guy out there at that point, you know? And it's just, it's something to watch. So I think the more you get to races and the more you kind of find the vantage points, that's Mm -hmm. the best part is then when you go back, you're like, Oh no, I got to get over here because I got to see what's going on. And that's, that's the beauty, kind of the art form of racing, at least I think so. But tell me about Watkins Glen a little bit, because I've never been up that way, but that's definitely a track I want to get to. What was your impression when you first walked into that facility or had you been there before that race or was that the first time? That was my first race I ever went to um, was that, was that particular race in my sophomore year. Um, I, I always expected NASCAR to be, I don't know, like, like the, the circle track, uh, redneck sport. Right. So <laughs> to, to go to a, a race that was on a road course, first of all, was totally mind blowing to me. I, when my mom said, we're going to go walk in Glen and watch a NASCAR race. I didn't know until we got to the parking lot that it, it was a road course. So <laughs> that was a surprise number one. Um, but then yeah. to, you know, see how professional the sport was, how much effort was put into the cars, um, you know, they, they weren't bun- a bunch of crappy race cars. These were very nice, well-designed cars. So, um, but Watkins Glen, the whole area is just absolutely beautiful. The downtown life is, is amazing. It's, it's one of my favorite stops on the NASCAR circuit. Um, not just because of the track itself and the fan base there is incredible too. Um, but, but the, the whole area around it is just absolutely gorgeous. Whether you like drinking wine or hiking or, um, going to look at waterfalls or food, or it's just an incredible place to go visit. Yeah. I got to get up there. I, yeah, it is on the list of tracks to go to. I would really like to go see a six hours at the Glen. I'd obviously like to see the cup cars there, or any of the series that go up there, but yeah, it's, I've, it's, it's definitely a track that I've always been, you know, fond of and thought was gotta be cool. I've the closest I've been up that way is Pocono. I did get out there and watch, uh, the tricky triangle, but mm-hmm. And that was that was actually my first NASCAR race was Pocono, and that was uh, 2000. So that was Dale Earnhardt Sr. blew a tire. He was running top five all day, blew a tire. And I will tell you, the funniest thing about that was 
because Dale Earnhardt Sr. had all these, you know, every time he came around, people were just like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. you know, go to like everybody points. I don't know why that is with <laughs> at oval tracks, but you see that where the guys are like, go. And you're like, he knows which way <laughs> they're like, get over there, get, get faster that way. So every time he came by, they would just like stay. I mean, every lap I never had experienced that where it was every lap. They were cheering for this guy every single time. And then it was probably about three quarters of the race. He comes like he had been, you know, running with a couple other guys. I think it was Rusty was up there and Jeremy Mayfield was up there and Jeff Burton. And all of a sudden those guys all came by and there was no three car. And then all of a sudden we saw him like puttering around turn three and he had a big old flapping flat tire. And every person in the stands who had not been standing every time he went by was just a complete asshole to every three fan. And just like, oh, there is your boy. Like it was, and that was the moment where I was like, this is cool. Like there's a whole group of people who just love this man and another whole group of people who are like, I hope he has a flat tire or I hope he loses. And that just, that's the essence of sports to me. It's that, that rivalry, you know? So I think that's, that's something that continues in the sport now where you have, People who love Kyle Bush, people who want to see Kyle Bush out of the race or lose or, you know, whatever. And, you know, the the stuff with Brad and Joey this past couple of weeks from Daytona, like these are the things that keep the sport fun. And I think it's not fun for the competitors sometimes when these rivalries are heated up, but I think it's fun for us. So um, it's, it's part of the storyline. It's it's uh, it's why people watch is, is to watch all this unfold. Yeah, absolutely right. So uh, I guess, I mean, you know, there's a lot of other questions I have for you, but I want to take it back to the the NASCAR side of things on the road courses. Cause that's something we both enjoy. Um, but there's been talk about like the caution flags and, you know, the long, you know, caution laps, things like that. I know if some people are asking for local yellows when cars go off the track or maybe doing away with stage racing, as much as I think some of those questions are based in like a legitimate desire to make it better. I just wonder if NASCAR is going to, be able to do something like that this quick. I don't, I could like, I've seen, you know, like the conversation go to, can they do that for Coda? Can they, you know, change some of these things? And I think that's going to be really difficult for them to do at least this year. I would assume they're probably not going to change much like that, but you've seen the inner workings a little bit. What do you think about that? Uh, I definitely like both those ideas. I think they would definitely help the the product. Um, I, I, I truly believe if they wanted to make those changes, they could do that tomorrow. I don't, I think it would be fair for everyone. Like I said, it's, it's, it's not like you're changing the rules package. It's not like you're catering to a certain team. You're just changing the, uh, I guess the way the, the way the race format is. And, and, yeah. and regardless of where you go or, or what the package is, everybody would, that would be an even change for everybody. So uh, I definitely think they should, I definitely think they can, but I also think maybe um, that road course and these these races these last two weeks have maybe magnified those issues where we, we probably don't see uh, the need for, for both of those changes at Watkins Glen or Sonoma as much as we have at the Daytona road course. Not yeah. saying... No, that's true. And it, that, but Daytona's a little different, so is Charlotte in the sense that you can do things like with the trucks or the Xfinity series. Maybe it would make sense to just wave them around the road course and let them yep. do an oval lap under caution and count that as like a half lap. So you can do two yep. ovals for one actual lap and then 
it maybe saves you a little bit of time. I don't know. But either way, yeah, there, I think there's things they can do to try to improve that. But here's the good news is like people are talking about the road courses and I don't think most people are complaining about it. I think most people just want to see it like in the sense that I don't think most people are like, we should not have done this. This was a bad idea. I think most people acknowledge the racing's been good. There's just yep. maybe a few tweaks that could yeah. make it better. And if you look at what road course racing has been over the years, well, they've they've done this, right? I mean, you have a, a wreck at Le Mans. You don't have, under most circumstances, sometimes you do, but you don't often have a full course yellow at Le Mans because they know it's an eight-mile track. <laughs> like, at some point, there's a limit to how effective that is for what you're actually trying to do. So, um, speaking of that, you know, Le Mans and all those, you know, different road course series – Next year, the next gen car is going to be a different ball game for the teams. And I know you may not be able to talk about a lot of that stuff, but just from the standpoint of I have heard it compared favorably to a GT3 car. Do you think that's a fair kind of for people who might be familiar with that type of car? Like I know I mean, the, if you're talking if you're talking compared to where we are now. Yeah, right. It's miles <laughs> yeah. closer, right? I it's mean, not it's not gonna weigh the same as a GT three car. It's right. still gonna be a yeah, a stock car in many uh, ways. But if you look at our suspension that we have now, um, the characteristics of the Gen six car, you could say that the Gen seven car and next gen car is is much closer to a GT three car or something like that. Um it's it's has a much more mo- modern foundation. Um it's got uh, a lot more, I mean, it's a car that's designed this this year or last year, not a car with parts that are 50 or 60 years old. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's going to be completely different. Um, I know I don't want to put you in a spot where you can say something that you're not no, supposed I'm, to. I'm trying to explain because it's not, it's, it's still a unique car. You know, I, I think a lot of people that were designing it, uh, we're, we're from the sports car scene. There's a lot of yeah. sports car uh, characteristics of it, but I wouldn't sit here and call it a sports car. There are a lot of things in our sport that require different things, right? Like safety, our cars go a lot much faster for a sustained amount of time than yeah. these sports cars. So the safety features have to be different. The chassis features have to be different. Our cars go through a lot more abuse than a sports car. Uh, the way we race them, the way we jump them, the, the contact we have, just the way we race. So uh, you, it's it's not a GT3 car. It's closer to a GT3 car than what we're at, but it's its, its own unique animal as well. I think people are going to have a, maybe a most difficult time with the, – the, the biggest change I think a lot of people are going to see is that when you go to do a pit stop, it's going to be a very different pit stop. The pit it stop is. times are going to be, I don't know how much shorter, but they're going to be much shorter pit stops because yep. now you have one lug nut on each wheel as opposed to five. Uh, so it's just a, it's, it's very quick. So, and for those of us who watch sports cars, that is something that in the sports car world, they, they have complete, they don't, they don't try to make those competitive pit stops is I guess the best way to say that. Cause sure. they limit the fuel output from yep. the tank. Sure to make sure it takes a while. So you see guys getting around there, they're, they take their time with it. They're not just, they're not doing nothing. They're trying to be quick, but that's still going to be something that I think will be very interesting to watch. And I think it's kind of like, um, I like to do a little gambling, a little fantasy stuff like that. The first couple of weeks of the NFL season, 
there's always these differences and discrepancies because maybe some people have caught on to this rookie running back or you know stuff like that and i feel like there's going to be things like that in the pits where some teams are gonna be like oh we figured something out and they're gonna be like half a second quicker than everybody else which is huge in a green flag pit stop Mm -hmm. but i do wonder how fans will react when they see it's just one lug nut on and off that's it i think like the hardcore nascar fans are going to be shocked by that but you know the people that'll flip on daytona and maybe three other races a year next year when they flip on Daytona, they're going to be shocked by that. Right. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's, you know, change yeah. in NASCAR is not always received well. So I hope yeah. that, I hope that people will come around to that. I, I feel like uh, for me, I, I'm very disappointed that they're, that they're going to the one lug nut. Um, right. I, I do understand the safety side of it with the wheel. Uh, they say they couldn't design a one lug nut wheel or a, a wheel that big, uh, and have five lug nuts. So there, I mean, there is a design issue with, with that, but I'm going to miss it. I think it was, uh, a very unique part of our sport that you didn't see in any other type of motorsport. but still at the end of the day, as long as we can make sure that the stops and the speed is something that drives part of the competition, whether you take five lug nuts off or, 500 lug nuts off there's going to be a guy that's quicker right there's <laughs> there will be somebody yes. that's faster mm-hmm. so the competitive side of the pit stop should still be there it'll just be different looking how are those pit stop guys by the way like all your pit crew guys do you guys get to interact with them much i mean i know they're there oh, yeah. working out like fiends they're they're yeah, crazy uh, so Stuart haas one thing about our team is most of our pit crew members are actually team members as well so oh okay there right are, on there are a lot of guys on on our pit crews that are better fabricators than i am there are a lot of guys that are mechanics there's um i mean they have all kinds of different jobs so it's not like they show up and they work out and they leave and nobody interacts or nobody sees them they go or they come to the shop they'll work a couple hours they'll go work out they'll go practice and then they'll come back and they'll continue building or assembling race cars so um i think Stuart haas in that nature is is more prepared for the future where we don't have to worry about our pit crew members being a, I'm going to say a, a financial burden because our guys are also yeah. very valuable team members in how the cars are built and prepared. So that's interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's really, a, that's a cool statement though, too. Cause I think that's uh that's, it's not necessary for the sport. Like I don't think every team has to be that way, but you know, when you watched old footage of, you know, Richard Petty and some of those guys and you see that it was like, oh, yeah, those, these were half of them were like his relatives that were out there just hopping right, over. And right. they were the, also yeah. the guys building the cars and tearing yeah. them down when yeah. they got home. Like that's a little bit of the sports nostalgia. And, and that's cool that there are teams that are that are doing it that way. And, and that's awesome. It's both ways are good. Right. As long as yeah, it's competitive. Yeah. yeah. Whichever yeah. way you do it. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I, I did not know. It, and I'm sure maybe a lot of fans do, but. Like I went to Dover a few years ago, not to just keep name dropping racetracks. Apparently, I've been to, but <laughs> I ended up staying in a hotel where there were a bunch of uh, one of the groups of pit crews that were there, and they were all in the same hotel. And I went to the track like two different days, and I went on Saturday, and I saw a bunch of those guys wearing like one sponsor's gear, and you know I said, "Oh, hey, good luck," and they said, "Oh, thanks," you know, and that was that. And then the next day, leaving at the same time to go to the Sunday race, and same guys almost the exact same time 
different outfit completely. And I did that's when it dawned on me like, oh man, these guys are there, you know, Saturday, Sunday, pitting the Xfinity cars, pitting sometimes the truck car or the truck cars, the truck series. And and that's when it was like, oh man, these guys are like and then when you factor in that, oh, and also some of them are fabricating four days a week, you know, whatever. That's it's a that's a heavy workload, man. I'm I'm sure those guys they they are truly appreciated. They have to be by the team for all the work they're doing. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. For sure. It's uh like I said, it's it's cool that our our team has has guys that are so uh well rounded and and capable of doing many different things. Yeah, for sure, man. Um well I guess the final thing I'll leave you with is uh what would you say for like, you know, it's it's been a weird year obviously with COVID, everything else and and we hope to see fans more fans back at the track as soon as possible. But What's something maybe that you've missed from the last year of, you know, not having fans there or maybe you not getting to go as often, you know, what, what's something that you're looking forward to once we kind of get back to normal at the racetracks uh, that maybe we don't know about or something we don't see behind the scenes? Um, I, I would definitely have to say that the fans uh, sounds kind of cliche, but that's why we do this. Um, and not, not seeing fans at the track, not seeing fans at the race shops, uh, not seeing a lot of people that I meet on Twitter and and get to enjoy what I do and, and show what I do. So that's that's one thing that I truly miss. And I, I can't wait to have packed stands, packed garages, packed uh, pit roads, all that back. It's it's not fun to go to the racetrack and sit in silence and and just run the race. You <laughs> it's got to I mean? it's got to be bizarre. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. the, the noise level, you know, after the race starts is kind yeah. of takes over. But like I said, when I was at Pocono, when I was the, my first race, I did not realize the crowd could create such a noise over oh, the, yeah. the cars, but it's a real thing. And it's something that I'm, yeah, the sport is definitely missing. I guess maybe the bright side of this is sometimes people don't know what they're missing out on until it's gone. For so sure. I would hope for a lot of fans who maybe over the years were like, oh, they do stages now. I don't know if I like that or what, whatever other thing. Maybe they say like, ah, I won't go to the race this year. Now that you have had a year basically where you couldn't go to a lot of these races, I would hope once we get back to full capacity, you're going to see a lot of the stands getting back to that too. You know, I would hope that that creates kind of a, a scarcity principle that got people to realize, oh, wait, I don't want to blow off that trip next year with the, right. the boys Take to go to whatever. Granted. Yeah, wherever track you usually go to, hopefully uh, people will get back there and do that. But And, and I think as a sport, we've gotten better at showing – fans certain things i think our our social media side has gotten better uh the tv side you know they're coming up with new ideas new ways to show the races new ways to show our sport so it's it's unfortunate that this whole pandemic happened but there's a lot of positives that are going to come out come out of it so yeah your guy boyer was out there banging doors with jeff gordon in a rental car this weekend so you yeah. know <laughs> how about that well, that was a pretty great idea i hope they uh, i don't know what else they're gonna have him do get him on a you know gets i i know both those guys have a dirt background so get him in a couple dirt cars put a put a late model out there in a sprint car and see who wins i think we <laughs> i think we know who would win that one but yeah that'd be uh that'd be quite fun to see but man brian thanks again for your time it's been a lot of fun no problem. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being on. That was cool. We enjoyed talking to Brian. We hope to do it again soon. We love talking to people who make these cars go around. And, you know, you hear from the crew chiefs, you hear from the drivers quite a bit on all the other NASCAR channels. We like to talk to the people who make the sport go around. 
in the garage because there's a lot of interesting stories there. And uh, I thought his story about Watkins Glen, awesome. What a way to get into the sport. That's so cool. That is it for this episode of the Stagger Podcast. Don't forget, we are on YouTube. You can find this episode and any episode on our YouTube channel. You can also find us, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. So however you're listening to us, uh, thank you. Make sure you subscribe to whatever channel that is that you're listening to and uh, keep checking us out. Friday, we will have a preview of all the action coming up for you in Homestead. That's it for us on the Stagger Podcast. Till next time, stay safe and stay staggered. Stay staggered.